Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman. I am here with my friend and trusted producer, as always, Max Kerman. Max, what's going on? I'm a little sleepy right now. <laughs> had a long, <laughs> long night. I went to Motown in Hamilton. All right. Well, you're in luck because our pop culture aficionado is joining us off the top. Shane Cunningham yeah. is here to pep you up. Yeah. Shane, how are you doing? Good. I was going to say, not to be too insulting, but you look like a young Shane Cunningham right now. With <laughs> What? <laughs> well, when I, in my younger days, I went to Motown every single Wednesday. Yeah. Well, I've been home for a couple weeks. And, you know, I'm, a little, I'm on vacation time, basically. Uh, there's not like a ton. I mean, there's always stuff going on, but there's not a ton of band stuff going on. And I'm pretty responsible. Like, if there's something that's really important, like, I won't go out. I'll go to bed early, get a full night's sleep. But if I don't got that... When you are not on <laughs> tour, do you tend to uh, hit the nightlife a little hard? A little bit, because... Uh, <laughs> well, just because I miss all my friends. <laughs> a little bit. He's sitting here hungover as hell. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't handle hangovers well at all, right? Oh, You're notoriously bad so at that. So bad. I'm the worst at being hungover. I cannot power through anything. But before we go, we got some great feedback from Dan Carruthers, who is basically running this whole operation at this point. Dan, like, has... He is basically the executive producer of the show. <laughs> uh, he is taking care of all of our socials and making sure the shows get online and all that stuff. And he said that we got a lot of subscriptions and comments in iTunes. So please, if you haven't subscribed to the show, subscribe. Also tell your friends about the show. Also leave a comment. It's really appreciated uh, and helps the show grow. So thank you so much for listening and for doing all that stuff we just asked you to. Taking care of business, Max. Taking care of biz. Shane, what's been going on with you? Wait, whoops. We're not saving it for the dessert, but uh, what? We want to update on my butt health? <laughs> yeah, how's your butt doing? Um, I like that you just said dessert and butt health in the same <laughs> sentence. Are you guys hungry? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm actually going to go, like, I, it's been bad. Like, it's been very bad. It, the, the feeling like I need to go poo-poo has not gone away <laughs> since we last recorded. Oh, boy. And it's kind of really scary. So I've been taking uh, Epsom salt baths at nighttime. Mm-hmm. And you know how I told you guys I, I float? Like I, I went to that float yeah, session. The deprivation chamber. Yeah. yeah. So my I only put a little bit of Epsom salt in my bath. But in the float deprivation chamber, they put 1,000 pounds of Epsom salt. So you float. So I'm going to blast my asshole tonight. <laughs> <laughs> like in in that chamber, like it's not for floating relaxation purposes. It's just so I for can get. Blasting. It's a cleanse. It's just so I can get my butt in a thousand pounds of Epsom salt. Okay, here's a question: When it comes to your mental health, like, if, are you on other? I don't know if it's too personal, but are you on other medications or like what? What is it? Because it feels like there's some something like psychosomatic. Is that the word? Like where it's like. It's it's really like you think I'm making this I don't up. think you're making it up, but I think it could be due I'm to I'm producing stress. real results due to anxiety. Yeah, I right. think like like for instance, I was uh we were touring with a guy uh, in Frank Turner's band and he went blind out of stress for like a couple of days. Wow. And, and, and he was like worried that he had some like brain tumor and then it turned out like the doctor's like no, you just have like a stress disorder. You have to yeah. you have to like relax. It could be brought on by this. Uh-huh. Uh because uh yeah, I think that's one of the number one things to bring this on but it's definitely real yeah but i do think tonight's the cure i really (laughs) do think and if like what you're saying if it is kind of in my head just believing that truly believing that will cure it i hope so yeah i've had prostatitis before too and that's the kind of the p version of this (laughs) and i've also thought i've had uh had aids and i think like uh 
you know, I've I've had like a sit down with either you and uh, or your brother Greg, and you gave me uh, the good clinic that gives you the results in a day. Yeah. Turns out I had nothing. Did I tell you this story? <laughs> Years ago, like this was like before I was dating Lauren, I got a phone call while I was at work, and it was from the Ontario Health Department saying somebody has listed you as a, a partner, and that person has uh, chlamydia. Wow. Did I ever tell you this story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but uh, tell our viewers, our listeners. And uh, and so I, I didn't know what chlamydia was, or like I was just like, what? I don't know who the... And then you start thinking, like, who is, who is this person referencing me? So I ended up leaving work immediately because I was like, I thought I was going to die. You know, when, you know, when you're young, you think everything might kill you. Yeah, uh, I think that now. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, God. so actually I, I called Dan and Dan picked me up from work and we walked there together. And I went to this health clinic. It was like in the north end in Hamilton. And I just like walked through the doors and I just was like, I'm going to like take this like head on. And I was like, I am here for my STD <laughs> test. And then they're like, uh, that's upstairs, sir. Like, upstairs. <laughs> uh, anyway, did the test. Also, the guy was like, while you're there, while, while we're here, do you want to see if you have HIV? I was like, oh, well, sure. Why not? So I, I was in the clear for HIV because they give you the test result immediately. But then the chlamydia one, you have to wait for a week. And, um, I got the call a week later. I didn't have it. So I was, I was totally good. That's awesome that they call you to tell you, you didn't have it. Yeah. I'm always like just waiting. Oh yeah. Anyway, that's my, my, my experience with that. That's, that's your STD scare yeah. or STI. And you've never had anyone being a big rock star. That's pretty no, rare. I bet. Well, come on. Yeah. <laughs> what? You got to do at least what? A hundred chicks a year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, man. All right. Well, what else is going on? So uh, did anything of note uh, happen last night there, Maxie? Um, yeah, nothing really. I mean, it is I have felt lately in like the last like two months because we were away so much last year and around Hamilton, I get recognized a lot. But in the last couple months, like especially now that I'm home from tour after the Hamilton show, it's kind of getting out of control. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But just in Hamilton. Like, do you like as an extreme narcissist? Do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> uh no, I mean, I don't, most of the time, everyone who's coming up is super nice. There's, there's no one that's like really being overly intrusive and everyone's just being super like complimentary and nice. I, it's only kind of bothersome a little bit if I'm with like Lauren and Lauren, actually Lauren's cool about it. She, I, I can see if I'm in her shoes, I'd be kind of annoyed by it after a while, but she's, she's really cool about it. But yeah. you're not loving it anymore. No, I like it, but, but I just pick my spots. Like if I wanted to, if I want to actually have like a nice time like t catching up with friends. Mm -hmm. Like I just I like, maybe I shouldn't go to Motown. Yeah. Right. I was going to say that. That's like a tiger cat going to like Iverwind stadium yeah. or something. Yeah. So, uh, a reference only Hamilton. Yeah. Like, I, I don't give a shit. <laughs> it's a local pod. <laughs> uh, but Motown was fun, but you know, um, when you go with your single friends, it's like kind of, a, I think they, yeah. they like it because it attracts attention to the crew. Yeah. It was you and all the singles. Yeah. But wait, I'm getting a kind of a lackadaisical vibe here. Did you go to Motown also? No, not at you all. Didn't? No. Oh, okay. You didn't? Okay. I guess just because you're wearing sunglasses right now, but those are your eyeglasses too. So that makes they sense. are prescription. No, I was a good boy last night. I, uh, so I had to meet up with our friend, Mike, because he's having, this is kind of a big thing. The first peer of ours is having a child. Yeah. yeah. None of us have done this. So I guess something that fellas do is they have a uh, diaper party. Yeah, is that a real thing? Like, is, is that something where it's going to be happening moving forward as our friends start to have kids? I guess. It, it's our reality it's because like it's happening. It's like the stag and of babies, right? But yeah, maybe. 
it's a diaper party. Either way, I mean, for him, I think it's just an excuse to get together with his buddies and have a, a last hurrah where uh-huh. we do a fun pub crawl. But I'm uh, I'm hosting it. It's at my place. So we had to get together last night and basically work out the details. Cause this what is are happening. the details, by the way? Oh, like, so I'm working tomorrow in Toronto. Uh-huh. He's working in Mississauga. What time do we get back? What time are people arriving? Is he bringing, like, he's bringing a couple cases of beer, some pizza. Like, am I grabbing uh-huh. ice? Okay. So there's that. What time people are arriving? Just I just feel like these details could have been worked out over a text message. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, guy planning so much, like, easier than girl planning. Mike. <laughs> like, who's I, bringing the ice? Who's bringing the brewskis? We got pizza to order. <laughs> it's, it's tough stuff, man. We wanted yeah. to get together for it dinner. It was more of an excuse just to watch the Raptors game and eat chicken wings. Yeah, so we went to the pheasant plugger. Yeah, we had a meeting about the diaper party. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then we went over to Max's place because uh, he was texting and he's like, come for the second half. We get there. He's hanging out with our friend, um, local television star, J.R. Diggs. And uh, and then all, yeah, all the single dudes showed up. Yeah. Nick, Dan, Al. And then they all went to Motown and I went home because I had to go on TV today for... Uh, Talk about that. How was that? So I had an opportunity uh, through... Uh, Kristen Nicholas, who's been amazing. Shouts to Kristen Nicholas. Huge friend of the pod. Um, and uh, basically, I'm a huge NBA nut, Raptors fan. And I was asked to go on to a panel called Fast Break, where basically you talk about, you know, different things that are going on in the NBA. But anyway, uh, yeah, it was great. It was funny. It was just, I just hung out and talked basketball. But it was only, it was really quick. It was like a, a six-minute segment. And I feel like uh, just as we were getting into it, it, it was over before it started. Here's a question. You are a crazy person watching basketball. If anybody gets a chance to, they should watch basketball with Mike, because he doesn't really pay attention to you. His eyes are like on the court at all times and just screaming at the television or if he's there. Like you really <laughs> turn into a different person. I'm in the conversation. Yeah, sort of. Uh, <laughs> but do you think you'd enjoy uh, being like an MBA personality or would that take like the passion and the fandom out of it because it might start to feel like work? It's a good question. It, I, some years ago, uh, I kind of had the thought where I was like, oh, maybe like I'll change gears and go work at, you know, NBA TV Canada or like work with the Raptors in some capacity. And what I was actually, I co-directed a commercial with our buddy, John, uh, for the Raptors when they got back into the playoffs four years ago for the first time. And we went down and we shot and we hung around the Raptors for the full day. We were courtside, really proud of the commercial. But what I kind of realized was I was with the camera guy, I'm courtside and it's like, you know, Kyle hit a huge shot and I was watching the monitor and I was stressed because I was like, if this camera guy didn't get that shot, we were shooting at 60 frames per second. So it was like super slow-mo looked really cool. I'm like, if this guy didn't get that shot, I'm going to be like really pissed because I I know that's going to go into the promo. And it ended up getting in, he ended up getting the shot. But what I realized after was I said, man, like Kyle hit a huge shot against the Memphis Grizzlies to basically like seal the game. The place went nuts, packed ACC, and I didn't get to engage with that moment the way I would as a fan. I was engaging as a guy directing a commercial and stressed out about the content. So what I said was, man, like basketball for me is like, that's how I get away from my job and like stresses. Like, not that the rappers don't stress me out, but it's like, it's, it's my, it's like, uh, it's my hobby. It's like something that like, it's my way to sort of unwind. And if that was my everyday job, I'd have to find some other way to unwind. So I don't want to lose that. So no, I wouldn't work uh, in basketball. I mean, never say never, but if I'm, and I'm lucky enough to have a lot of choices right now, if I have my choice, I keep doing what I'm doing. Do you think porn stars <laughs> don't like having sex as much? It's <laughs> a good question. Under the interview. What? No, I was just saying. <laughs> Let's get to Ryan from Mother Mother. Uh, no, but that is a terrible segue, but we'll go with it. Uh, we have Ryan from Mother Mother on this week. An old friend of mine, actually. Yeah. Yeah, he's a sweet guy. Very, very interesting. He's one of these guys, I think, within the Canadian 
music scene that people look up to because he, he produces a lot of their stuff. He's produced a lot of other artists. He's like a monster guitar player. He's like very clever lyricist. He's sort of like, he's got the whole package. I feel like most people, when it comes to music, it's like they're either just a great front guy, but maybe like don't know how to play an instrument or someone's really good in the studio, but doesn't like to tour. Like he kind of does everything really, really well. Yeah. Uh, he was a interesting guy to talk to in the sense that, um, he's definitely like, um, thoughtful. I think he's thought a lot about how he, uh, goes about his work. I think he's thought a lot about how he sees the world and, you know, ends up putting that back into his music. Um, but I feel like I got to know him. I'd never met him before. I've seen them a couple times, like at different like uh, Canadian Music Weeks and whatnot. And um, obviously, they've been doing very, very well. But yeah, they uh, built a real thing. They got real fans. It's great. Shane, got anything to say about Mother Mother? I really liked them back in the day. Your brother Greg actually got me on a song, Wrecking Ball, and it was like my one of my favorite songs for like a year. I'd listen to it. It's one of those songs I would listen to over and over and over and over again. All right. Well, do you want to get to the interview? Let's get it. All right. Let's get to Ryan from Mother Mother. That's good. Yeah. Right, is it whenever you do those like morning shows and have to perform, do you find it hard to sort of get up and, and do the damn thing? It's just singing. Yeah. Right. Singing is so unpredictable. Right. You, you can be well rested. You can drink tea. Um, you can not drink for two months and then wake up one morning and the voice is somewhere else. Right. <laughs> yeah. Other you than at your command. Sure. What do you do in instances like that? You just sort of power through it or? Yeah. You, you just bang it out. You croak it out. <laughs> yeah. I think you, you, you lean on intention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Max who yep. we do this podcast together. Um, he's on tour actually right now. Have you right. guys played with them? The Arkells or? Yeah, a bunch. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Um, but anyway, in, on this pod, we sort of like to get into this sort of minutia of how creatives do their work. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to start with, like, I mean, in music circles, I feel like you're known for your virtuosity, like not only sort of as a musician, but also as a songwriter and producer. Um, what are your earliest experiences with music? And like, what role did music play in your family growing up? It wasn't a musical family per se, but it was a very wow. musically supportive family. So it was important that we took piano lessons okay. from an early age, even though my mom didn't play the piano, that kind of thing. Um, and I started taking guitar lessons at 10 years old. And I remember just really having a proclivity to compose. And my guitar teacher, he would assign me homework, like just go write something. And then I come back and I have this little like a minute and a half linear composition that didn't necessarily have repeating parts, didn't have structure, but it was inventive and it was original to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's interesting. So was it sort of driven by your parents? Like, oh, we want them to have music in their lives. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think we exhibited talent, especially right. me. And so they uh, reinforced that with lessons. Did you find lessons uh, tedious or did you love it? I I loved it. Yeah. And even when it was, um, Royal conservatory, Mm. I still found a way to, um, tap into composition. Yeah. Yeah. My piano teacher recognized that I wanted to write my own music more than I wanted to learn the classics. And so, yeah, we, we put the rule book down and got into making stuff up. Yeah, and I mean, do you remember the first show you played where you were performing original songs? 
Hmm. Well, I used to like just go on these blues rampages. Oh, really? Guitar, yeah, as a youngster, and uh, like the elementary school assembly, I would play as people were walking out of the gym. Yeah. Um, and I played with a blues band when I was twelve in a bar in Campbell River. Uh, you'd take a ferry boat to Vancouver Island, to town, as we called it. <laughs> I had my first gig there. I subbed out for my guitar teacher on a New Year's gig when I was 14. I made 500 bucks. That was it's my a big haul for 14. Yeah. And then I had a, a melodic metal band, original band in high school called 101 Damnations. <laughs> and those compositions were really long-winded and complex and uh, comical now looking back. But, man, we thought the world of them. Did you, I mean, did you ever get anxiety about getting up and performing or did you always have like a proclivity to be, to get up and be in front of people? Yeah, I think I did. But then when I became a voice and a front person, uh, the nature of performing changed. There is more of my soul in view and more of your personality on display and that's a bigger part of performance when you're a front person is integrating a personality and a charisma into just the sheer proficiency of getting the parts right Mm -hmm. is that something that you have put a lot of thought into and have like evolved over the years definitely yeah and i mean you try and sculpt it or script it uh, and then you realize you just need to be authentic but even that it has to be affected on some level. Yeah, you, you need to premeditate authenticity on, on some level. As dichotomous as that sounds, it's sort of true. Yeah. Yeah. I think preparation is the gateway for spontaneity. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you've been in Mother Mother for a long time now. Um, and your sister's in the band. Yeah. Your ex-partner Jasmine's in the band. How have these relationships made the experiences like of touring and making records either more special for you or have they, has it been difficult at times because of the maybe intimacy of those relationships? Definitely. Like when me and Jasmine were breaking up, that was hell on the road and in the rehearsal space. Like that just, no two people should be in that situation. That's what you believe while you're going through it. But then you come on the other side and you have this relationship that is so strong and has seen so much and weathered such a dynamic storm that sharing in the good stuff from that point on is is more um, enjoyable, hmm. more profound. Same with Molly. Well, it's like if, if you make it through, like if you're forged through fire, if you yeah, make it through, exactly. it's stronger afterward, Absolute. I suppose. Yeah. Were there times when you thought it wasn't going to work? Yeah, for sure. And with Molly, too, like, we, we're pretty different people, my sister and I. Um, and we've had a pretty volatile ride um, as two humans relating in the vessel of uh, music and a band. Um, but again, it's we're in a good place now, and we have have we have walked over the coals, and there's a, there's a callus on our relationship um, that we're both proud of. Yeah, and it, it's inspiring to face the inevitable discords that will arise between us because we know, I think at this point, we can get through anything. 
Hmm. Do you still manage to keep a sibling relationship, say, outside of the work and the music? So it's like, you know, if you're at whatever, a holiday event with family, it's just like, oh, yeah, this is my sister. Yeah, definitely. Is that a different relationship? You know, we'll still find ourselves talking about the band. Interesting. Like on the couch. Yeah. And the band is very much um, a part of our family at large. Like the nieces love the music. Yeah. And, you know, my mom has press clippings hanging on the wall. So <laughs> I think it's it's a bit of a mantelpiece for the family. Yeah. I mean, when you chose to make music your career, it's an unconventional career and nothing's guaranteed. Was there sort of a concern on your mother's part? You know, you said she has the press clippings up, but was she like, oh, are they going to be able to feed themselves? And I'm concerned. And now you've seen success. But was there ever a moment where it's like, is this, you know, the way we're going to go? She was never too concerned. I mean, she would say often, I just want you to graduate high school. <laughs> you know, so she didn't have like um, visions of grandeur surrounding my uh, professional course. Yeah, it's like get your high school diploma and then yeah, pursue and then, what you and want. and try to be happy. Yeah. You know, like just get by. And so, you know, I did graduate high school. I moved to Vancouver. I had a cooking job flipping eggs for a year. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I was a cook for 12 years. Wow. Um, and then I applied for jazz school, which she was very excited about because she's a total jazzer. Um, and she sort of attached a um, an academic... Uh, aspect to this subversive quality to being a musician, which made a lot of sense, I think, in her brain. It's but, interesting that something like music is such a creative endeavor, but you almost need structure in order to sort of accomplish something with it. Sure. Yeah. Especially in also um, becoming intimate with the language. Yeah. You know, you got to learn the form to distort it. There's a math to the music. Yeah. That you need to understand. Is. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't need to. Kurt Cobain didn't he did all right um but i like learning about the the nuts and bolts of the theory sure yeah um is your sister as intense with the nuts and bolts of the theory as you are no no she never studied music right she she wasn't a musician um we found ourselves living together uh when i was 22 in vancouver i'd broken up with my girlfriend i didn't have a place to live a room came available in the house that she was living in and so we sort of rekindled our siblingship and friendship um with no idea that we would be in a band any year from then um but while i was going to music school at that time i was getting a little bit weighed down by the the academic nature of studying jazz and it felt a little archaic too just like resurrecting this old form for what purpose to what end and so it was at that time that i started writing these like little lyric based songs pop songs if you will folk songs mm -hmm. and i just i tapped into this this newfound joy um in the musical experience and so i got it in my head i wanted to take these songs and put them uh in the v vessel of a band and i didn't know anybody really but i knew molly my sister who i lived with and i knew how she sounded when she spoke and i knew how she sounded when she sang along to the pixies while she was washing dishes and it was sounded incredible and more unique than anybody else and so i just came up with this ridiculous idea that she and i would start a band 
She looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah. It like we told our family we were starting a band. It almost was an embarrassing admission. <laughs> like for you guys, like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But I knew I knew it would work because her voice is that special. And I believed in the song. So I, th I thought if I put those two things together, worked really hard, maybe something could happen. Yeah. With writing and, and lyrically, you know, I feel like your lyrics have always been sort of playful, but there's always something substantive and meaningful happening at the same time. With a song like The Drugs, how autobiographical is that song? And I guess just specifically that song, could you get into the minutia of writing that song specifically? Yeah, well, that was born out of a, a co-write. Okay. Uh, so, you know, in a room with a bunch of people and you're just scrapping around syllables, trying to find form, trying to find some sort of semblance of a theme and that chorus came into being which was sort of apropos for what I was going through at the time because I was sort of coming off drugs and trying to curb my debaucherous um, penchant mm. in life um, and so I was oh well interesting that the, the ether would bestow this motif onto me while I'm going through this uh, so then I ended up expanding the rest of the song and fleshing out the verses and it was at that point that I sort of drew autobiographically from my experience um, I was falling in love I was um, I was trying to connect to myself and the world uh, around me through I guess what you might call an on omnipotent type of love not necessarily the romantic love, but that love that connects you to other people, to inanimate objects, to the cosmos. You know, when you really feel bound um, to everything, that kind of love as being a mode to get high without the, the dread of crash. You know, that's a sustainable that's, high, the sustainable high. Yeah. A real high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A high that anyone can feel. Yeah. If they're in tune. Yeah, well, and you know, you have to work a little harder for it, and maybe it's a little less um, thrilling in the ephemeral sense, but it, it goes deep. It runs really deep. I find co-writes sort of a fascinating thing in general. How do you feel about them? Are you sort of open to them? Are you really precious about, you know, your writing in general? No, no, I mean, I, I, I just, I don't think anybody owns their songs i don't think anyone writes their songs you're co-writing with the elements around you even if there's nobody in the room that's how i feel about the creative process um so yeah if if that process can can blossom by virtue of another person then so be it it's also fair that um it can work against the cre creative process it's all about chemistry and how essences swim together. Yeah. Um, I've written a lot of great songs with people in the writing room um, and had a lot of duds too, or just times when it didn't click. Can you tell when it's not working with somebody and maybe be like, you know, we're good. You know, we had a run. We don't need to try this again. With yeah. Yeah. I, th I think there's a, there's a respectful forfeit it's <laughs> yeah. a good way to put it yeah but sometimes you think you're about there and then something will open up and the kernel of gold will show itself and it's like wow i love this process it's so unpredictable it's so humbling yeah um i guess as someone who's produced other musicians records how do you navigate your role in the studio when there's someone else in charge 
you know, per se, what perspective are you looking for when you, you know, bring in an outside producer? You hope that they can distill your greatness and, and not spread it around too much. I think an artist tendency is to spread their, what's the word, their efficacy around too much. The, like somewhere there's a really strong idea in, in any song. And I think an artist can dilute it hmm. because they're, they're too attached to the idea of expanding upon it. Whereas I think an outside producer should come in, dial in on that nugget of gold and then strip everything away and then prop it up and ask him or herself and the band, how do we then exploit this? How do we reinforce this? How do we put it on a pedestal and not clutter it? Is it hard for you to give way to that process as a producer yourself, as someone that's maybe holding on or thinking maybe that nugget is something else that the producer, uh, there's a difference there maybe? Yeah, it can be hard. I, I find that it's hard when the person you're working with is steeped in um, fear and naivety, which is, which is common in the early days of creating um, you don't realize that the process is made more free by letting go at sometimes early on. You, you, you kind of have to learn that. And that's because the tendency is to hold on. But then, yeah, in every aspect of yep. life. Yeah. We want to control, control, control. And with something as abstract as writing music, there is no control. It's chaos. So subjective, right? And, and I guess all creatives will see something differently mm -hmm. if they're looking at the same thing. Yeah. And I guess the difficulty would be finding what's right and who ultimately makes that call. Is it you? If you're producing, well, I mean, it, it's, I'm not really out to make anybody unhappy or make people feel inauthentic. Um, but it is hard sometimes when you know that there's this path that they could take and you could help them take and guide them on that would push them in healthy ways and potentially bring them to a higher place in their career. But they're just resistant for whatever reason. Hmm. That, that is hard. But I, I, will, I will only push so far because it's not worth it to me to see someone succeed at the expense of um, their comfort levels. Like, what do I care? It, I, I'll, I'll care about that with regards to myself more than I'll care about other people. Um, yeah, I guess sacrificing their truth if that's how they see it. Sure. Yeah. Um, there's a great quote uh, in the press release. It was like really positive, and I thought you say exactly. I want to quote it. It says, "If we can step, uh, if we can strip back the culture or the masks, attitudes, and stories that feed our differences, and just connect as people, we might be more united at a time where we really need to be." What are you saying with that? And I guess ultimately, like with the album, no culture. Like what? What are you getting at? Well, that was born out of my own identity crisis when I made the shift from being a debaucherous maniac mm. to withdrawing and getting back in touch with myself. Um, what, what do you think led you to, as you, you know, your words, debaucherous maniac? What, what got you there? 
what was it something that you already had always sort of had a, a penchant for growing up or is it was it maybe a set of circumstances yeah i mean it's a combination of things i'm innately shy and frightened uh, sensitive i think and i don't i don't um respect those traits in myself or people i know i should i, I know that there is beauty and substance and power to uh introversion mm. um but i struggle to celebrate it in myself you see it as a detriment yeah i'm, I'm working on it now um to see it otherwise but that that's you know that's part of it and and substance definitely allows you to bury that stuff and to mm -hmm. come out a little more brazenly um and then i also do have this penchant for overindulgence i like pushing too far and too hard there's something really subversive and rebellious about that um which i think falls in line with being a musician you're doing something counter to the the system and the directed path um and the same can be said when you when you do too much of something you're saying no i'm not going to do what you tell me i'm going to push this as far as i can go and pick up the pieces when i when i get there when i fall mm -hmm. i'm attracted to that mentality and then there's a creative side too it's like uh mind altering um or mind alterance are really intriguing because they suggest you're going to find some greater truth on the other side of that journey uh a creative truth um and being a creative person i'm really drawn to to that information has uh, that information ever not been worth it has it been hollow oh yeah totally there's certain drugs that are super hollow and you think you're going on a real uh ride of higher consciousness but you're not you're just you're just um just up. drinking your own kool-aid so to speak um so that led i me to to recognize that you know like it's, it's not really true that path it's, it's not really the true path sure it's some fast track route to um mind expansion at times yes and a way to to bury my sensitivity and to be a confident human but i'm not getting rid of my sensitivity or i'm not learning how to wield it i'm just suppressing it hmm. and and while i do so it's hibernating and festering and what i found when i when i stopped taking drugs and drinking was that those qualities that i that i pushed away they came out in such a um, annoying fashion really underdeveloped flailing and vying for attention mm. and nurturing and so i kind of had to get to know them and it was during that process that i really like uh, I, I really met myself where i was and i was surprised to to find how weak i was and so that catalyzed this whole concept of identity and no culture um because if i wasn't able to be the person that i was all by myself the person that i want to be then how how paradoxical is that i had i had to use things to be myself i had to distort myself to be myself that really kind of bent my mind and got me thinking about identity and authenticity and facade and how much 
of us is us or is it just cultural imprint is it just our surroundings is it nurture um, yeah, how much of us was there from birth and exactly. how much are we sort of influenced by, are we sort of an amalgamation of everything we see and experience? Yeah, much, yeah, much of us is, um, and we really get attached to these things. We identify so heavily with what we're told to be and, sure. and it does create distance, lack of connection with ourselves and with each other. Well, if we are like, you know, in these bubbles, you know, how do you find opportunities to talk and learn from people who don't necessarily come from your world? Um, repeat the question. Like, you know, if, if we're sort of a, an amalgamation of all these, our surroundings, our immediate surroundings, and we live in these bubbles and our experiences are, are sort of made up of who we see and who we choose to surround ourselves from. How do you specifically, or we in general, get, I guess, perspective from people outside of our bubbles? Is there any way that you can sort of expand beyond that or find other people to learn from that maybe don't think the same way as you or act the same way as you? Well, I guess empathy is the best way to achieve that and to remember that everybody is having the same human experience, regardless of their culture, regardless of their external influence. And that should bring us closer. And that should make us want to know more about the people we don't understand and ask questions and be aware and tune in because it's a funny thing. People like to talk about what they already know about hmm. two people get together who know each other intimately. They'll tell each other things they, they already know because it's safe and reinforce each other's views. Yeah. It's interesting. I heard a quote. It was like, if I'm talking, I'm not learning. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I always know. enjoyed that one. <laughs> I know. And, and talking is a funny thing. You know, it's like, uh, you, you just want to be quiet because you know, your words aren't as, as, as realized as they could be, you know, like this is great quote. It's like a, a Zen cone and, you know, words are but sticks that, point to the moon if the moon is truth at best your stick is you know straight mm. at worst it's snarled and brambled you know mm -hmm. our words are they're just our best effort to point at the truth but they're not the truth right um i guess lastly uh how has your relationship with music changed as you get older It's, it's much less about music as, as it is about embodying and encapsulating my experience in life. Hmm. Yeah, writing songs has, uh, has more purpose now. It's less about fanciful ideas or fun concepts or plays on things as it is about um, distilling my experience into song has your desire to tour changed no i still want to tour yeah i still love to tour you enjoy the road totally yeah it's a really meditative place it's so simple yet so profound mm. it's like the order of operations daily is is yeah basic wake up get fed um and then you do this thing this really meaningful thing that you could fail at 
And it's that risk of failing at this thing that means more to you than anything else on the daily that is just so healthfully terrifying. Hmm. Yeah, it instills an awe in me that uh, I'm addicted to. It gives you, uh, I mean, does it make you feel alive or give you a sense of life? Definitely. Yeah, because you're, you're afraid, but you're, you're driven at the same time. Yeah, you have to do this thing that you're scared of. That's that's a very enlivening experience. Absolutely. Do you see yourself dividing your time as your career evolves? Uh, yeah, I think I would like to write more um, externally, produce more. Um, yeah, but I, I I do see music being the all-encompassing thing. But yeah, dividing my experience with music up could happen for sure. But always music. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it's good to do what you're good at. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for your time, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Welcome to the desserts, the part where our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham, comes on and tells us about maybe something he's watched, something he's listened to, or something going on in his life. So Shane, what's up? Okay, let me see here. Since I was on the top, I wasn't. I kind of wasted some of my stuff here. So, uh, <laughs> for our listeners, he has his notebook open up and he's just like looking down. Uh, my buttholes, the new Frank saga. I'm yeah, taking that. True. So yeah. we covered that a little bit. I'm going to be floating in Epsom salt. Oh, the last episode we talked about the Bachelor. Oh yeah, and Max was pretty smug about his. Uh, I, I hate names like this. Corinne. 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 I Corinne? hate a name like that. Yeah. I call her Why? Because I hate names like uh, Christine, Kirsten, Kristen. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't like that. I like simple names like Mike, Max, Shane. Yeah, I can't <laughs> f- with those names. <laughs> but Corinne is gone. She's gone. And I'm not. By the way, I'm not happy to see Corinne gone. But I knew she was going to be gone. Yeah. And so now it's fantasy suite time on The Bachelor, which means sex time for the people who haven't watched. <laughs> Hold the on. Show. Before we get to that, though. There was uh, a bit of um, a controversy for a second uh, because on Monday night we played basketball together in Dundas and I saw you and then I left basketball and I taped The Bachelor and I went home to uh, watch it with Lauren. I was very excited about it and I intentionally stayed off social media so I didn't see anything of what was happening in the show. And then all of a sudden I get a text from Shane going, pack your shit, Corinne. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then Max pipes in and he goes, Shane, I'm taping it. Yeah, yeah. yeah." So sometimes when I I f*** up a lot, so someone's like, you're not supposed to say that. I'm like, you didn't let me finish. (laughs) I'm kidding. So, But this time I said, you didn't let me finish. Uh, she's packing her shit because she's going to the fantasy suite. <laughs> but really, I, I there is an unwritten rule among Bachelor fans that you have to watch it the night of. Oh, see, I'm or you're f- Yeah, I guess it's all over the internet. Yeah, but I was watching the night of. I was literally probably like half an hour behind you guys. But mm-hmm. it is just as much. My, I should have let you know that. I, I was Why is that an unwritten rule amongst Bachelor fans? Because it's so talked about everywhere. Like you can't go on like a. I, I was on the bus and people were talking about it. You can't escape it. It's not like a, a Raptors game where people won't talk about it as much because it's such a gossipy show. Sure. Once you start watching, you'll notice. You'll know what I mean. It's, yeah. And it, plus, you had already tweeted it like that that you were voting for Corinne. Yeah. So you're, you got to stay off your Twitter, everything. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's fair. But anyway, did you know, uh, Chris and Nicholas actually told me this, uh, that in the fantasy suites, they do not provide condoms. What? Yeah, that's just begging for some baby drama. 
Wow. Why for a they, provide, they provide everything else. They're like, here's food, here's the accommodations. Why, why do you think they do that to discourage um, intercourse? I, I think they want... You know Nick's going to pack some condoms in. Yeah. Who do you... Uh, who, no, but wait, I had another fact. You mentioned that they provide food and stuff. Yeah. Did you know they're not allowed to eat that food? I know. Lauren told me. Okay. Wait, what's this? What? Basically, so, they don't want people like munching on food like as they're having a conversation because it would screw up. Like, so why do they put food in there? For show? Yeah. Yeah, because it looks really nice. And they know pe- most people aren't going to research the hell out of it. Yeah. Also, another thing about the women in the house is that they don't have anywhere to exercise. And so there's a lot of these women are like good looking and in shape and probably exercise all the time. They don't have any and they're not allowed to use their phones or like know what's going on in the outside world. And it's just like they have to pick up like potted, heavy potted plants and stuff just That's to get extra. But yeah. Corinne, you know, she just like ate cheese and drank wine all day mm-hmm. and had lots of naps because. But she's twenty three, right? Yeah, she can get, get that bud. Yeah. My bud at twenty three is the same. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, so we talked. Uh, got that. I that, that's what I had. But here. here's a question. Okay, but who do you think is going to win? Uh, Vanessa. Vanessa is going to win. That's what you called last pod, right? Yeah. You said, and Vanessa. I know it to be true. Okay, hold on, Max. You picked Corinne last pod. Who are you picking now? Well, okay, we know it's not Rachel because she's already. She's uh, the first black bachelorette. Yeah. So she, even though maybe she's that's still, a red herring. Even though she's in the show, could be. Ooh, interesting. Uh, I guess it's Vanessa. I would not want to marry Vanessa. I like no Vanessa. one would. Nick's a madman, <laughs> and he sucks. Yeah. No, Nick's great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you convinced him. You didn't let me finish. <laughs> He's a good guy. Um, hey, but by the way, okay, explain what we're planning to do about the Monday three-hour finale. Oh, there's a guy from a uh, com- not a competing podcast. It might be now the way things are going here, though. Uh, <laughs> he works for a bachelor podcast. Uh, he okay. has his own bachelor podcast. It's called uh, Glenn McCauley. Yes. So he uh, is going to come on this show for a special dessert after the finale, and we're going to bore the shit out of Mike and talk about <laughs> the bachelor. It's cool. I'll crack a beer, wear my sunglasses, and I'll weekend to Bernie's it. Just have a nap. <laughs> okay, cool. Hey, do you think we should watch The Bachelor together? Maybe get Lauren and Alex and come to my place and Monday night watch it? For the finale? Yeah. Three-hour finale, I must add. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. By the way, I think Alex, my roommate, my roommate, not your wife, mm-hmm. uh, has heeded your advice because he was like, if you're, if you, because you said if you're a single guy, you should watch The Bachelor because it's such a good point of conversation if you're out like mingling. 100%. And he started to watch it, and it wow. shows your sensitive side. You know, and girls are like he watches The Bachelor. It's like yeah. that's a keeper girl. You know, this is how matching girls are talking. But um, all right, so after the finale, when's this finale? Monday. Monday night. Three hours. Three hours. Okay, so you'll probably be listening. This pod will come out Monday morning. The finale will happen. And then on our next Bachelor, we will do a Bachelor. We should do an emergency pod on the Tuesday like we did with the Oscars. We could do such a thing. We should, yep. we should definitely do that because it's time. That we can't wait. Glenn and the four. It'll yeah. be the four-man pod. All right, it'll be exclusive Bachelor pod. Yeah. You're hearing it here first. Yeah, I love it. Okay, cool. People were raving about your commentary, by the way, uh, about the Oscars. I'm really glad we did that. And yeah, my mom messaged me. People oh, really Shana? liked it. Yeah. Also, the one thing I wanted to add to it, because I wish I was there to participate. But wait, 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 wait. What did your mom say? She was just like, I feel like I don't even need to talk to you because that was so well done. Because my mom was all curious on my Oscar thoughts. Uh, and she was just like, oh, that was a great. Uh, like she was talking not like my mom. Yeah, <laughs> she gave it a positive review. Oh, that's, oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I mentioned this to you, but my experience, I was watching the Oscars at home. Uh, my roommate Al was like, ah, I'm going to bed. This sucks. Like just before the last category was announced, mm-hmm. all this shit happens. But as it was happening, I was sitting next to Lauren, my girlfriend and Greg, your brother, my roommate. And 
like out of nowhere, as this is all unfolding, me and Greg just start holding hands. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. And like, and it wasn't like, I was like trying to be like overly dramatic. Like we just needed to hold something. And I didn't go for Lauren. I just went for Greg. <laughs> and it was like, it was weird. It was like, he had his like pinky out and I was just like gripping his little pinky. It was very strange, That's but funny. It, we were losing it. I was just like, we were just so blown away. It was wild. That's hilarious. Uh, okay, do we want to move on from yeah. that? Okay, because I don't want this to go so long either. No, but. guys, let's talk more about the Bachelor. It would be <laughs> <laughs> okay if we um, gotta move on. Go for it. I wanted to because I'm trying to do a thing now where I introduce people to cool new things that they're not watching uh, yeah. or paying attention. That's a good, good segment idea. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, the Where's Richard Simmons podcast? Oh yeah, I just listened to an episode in Mike's bed right now. Our man uh, Greg Stewart actually sent an email this morning mm -hmm. recommending it very strongly. You two are both on this thing. I have not uh, listened to it yet, and I'm going to probably uh, tonight. I love I it. It's bed. in the vein of serial. Cool. But and I I love any mystery podcast. Like one of my favorites was uh, the one where this girl just tries to solve mysteries. I think it was called like the Mystery Podcast. It was the one where they're trying to figure out Jake Gyllenhaal's height. Like they they uncovered know. like innocuous things like that, but it was fascinating. All done in the vein of serial. This one's no different. Basically, Richard Simmons has gone missing for the last couple of years because he was always very obviously flamboyant out there. Then all of a sudden, nothing. He's very just cut off from too. the world. It's like he's the kind of guy that would greet every Hollywood tour bus, like as they went by his house, come out and take pictures with everybody. Didn't he have like a gym? He's just a very visible person. Yeah, yeah. He he, he would teach uh, classes like yeah. every week, and then yeah. he was like a multi multi millionaire. So of the oldies, and, and then all of a sudden, it's like he's dead. Like he's taken off the doorbell, everything to his house. Like there's no way to contact him. The only way they know he's really alive is because his uh, housekeeper's taking the garbage out. Yeah, mm -hmm. of his house because they did like a little stakeout it's very cool listen to that uh another show that i haven't really heard anyone talking about is called crashing hmm. you guys hear about this no judd apatow produced oh, show i watched the first episode yeah i forgot it was called crashing pete what? holmes yeah pete oh. holmes he's a comedian uh he's basically you summarize it mike you're better at this uh so pete holmes <laughs> is a uh a, he plays i don't know if it's a version of himself but he plays a guy named pete holmes it's kind of in he the plays louis, himself it's kind yeah. of in the louis vein so he's a, a christian that met his wife sort of uh, when yeah. they were teenagers they get married they're getting older now and he's someone that decided he was going to be a comedian his wife supports him she's a teacher uh he comes home one day finds out that she's having an affair so his world is kind of sweetie Petey. Yeah. and this is all true by the way yeah like, he talks about it on his podcast yeah. all the time like he's actually caught his wife with That's another man. With a little yeah. italian guy as we yeah. all know yeah. well have you seen the, the pilot of crashing it, no is that what this is super biographical yeah. i did not know that about pete holmes but the first episode was very interesting uh, Artie lang uh, is yeah. in it and he basically is the shoulder to lean on i thought it was funny it's like it was a good first effort and I thought Artie, like I'm a huge Howard Stern fan, so I'm a little bit biased, but I thought Artie Lang was amazing in it. To me, the best part of the sh of that pilot was mm -hmm. Artie. And like uh, comedians really took him under his wing, like uh, T.J. Miller's in the next episode. And that what happens in the episode actually really happened to Pete Holmes. So it's very cool. You And it, you know, it deals with uh, Artie Lang plays himself. It deals with podcasting. It's very cool show. That I'm introducing people to it. So and Judd Apatow produces it. You might have said that off the top, but everybody yeah. check it out. It's called Crashing. Uh, and then I was going to talk about uh, Vanderpump Rules. I wanted to talk about that again. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but I don't have to. No, let's do it. No, well, see, well, I don't I, Max is the producer. See, I, but I really, I really love this show. 
and I, I want to get people into it. So what I did is, since as you can see, I'm very bad at summarizing a show. <laughs> I'm good at getting excited, but I'm bad at summarizing. So I sent Mike the trailer mm-hmm. for Vanderpump so he could get excited about it. And not excited, so he could explain actually what it's about. <laughs> but we don't have to do that. No, I, the trailer was batshit nutty. It was, <laughs> it's this older woman who I'm guessing is like the major Lisa Vanderpump. Okay. Yeah. And she's so that the the trailer opens with her performing a marriage ceremony between this uh, a couple. And so it's like her doing the ceremony and they intercut all of this drama, I guess, leading up to the wedding. That Uh, is this season on Vanderpump Rules. Would that be accurate? 100 percent. And so it seems like a group of people, like a a, a big circle of friends that all hang out and all kind of hate each other. And they all say that they're fake and they're backstabbers. It's kind of the typical thing you'd see on like Jersey Shore or whatever, like interpersonal drama. But I guess it's all leading up to this wedding that maybe seems like it shouldn't take place. And she seems to kind of be like the uh, the matriarch that's either puppet mastering it or I don't know. She's uh, she is old. The reason she's featured on the show, it's actually a spinoff show from The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And her name is Lisa Vanderpump. She owns a club called Sir. And the show is all about her employees. Uh, and it's it seems like, oh, this is just typical reality show trash. But it's it's so intense and like uh, realistic in a way. Like, and I feel like, you know how you kind of want to be naughty sometimes as a guy? <laughs> <laughs> like... And like, uh, like I'm so living vicariously through the characters, uh. especially there's this one guy, Jax, and he's exactly like me in every way. Like how, I, how I used to be like, sometimes people be like, you're crazy, Shane. I'm like, I'm actually so normal now compared to how I used to be. Like uh-huh. I actually used to be legit. Like, uh, what do I say? Like out of my mind, right? Yeah. Cause we, Bell, let's talk. Let's say out of my mind. <laughs> but, um, and and this Jack says he's my age, but he's still like, it's like he's still me. holding on to it. He's like me. If I never came out of that phase, like you can be Jack's if you're not married. Uh-huh. And, but you, I couldn't be like Jack's who I am now. Like yeah. your marriage couldn't sustain it, but he does weird things. Like he'll get an idea. Like his chest is too big. So we'll get a breast reduction surgery <laughs> and then he'll get an idea. Like he needs a nose job. So he'll go out and he'll try to like, get a nose job and then he'll get one and they'll be like, Oh, they f***ed it up. And then he'll get another one. And he's always cheating on his girlfriend and drinking. <laughs> and he's literally on cocaine in some episodes visibly. <laughs> and like, it, there's so many parallels to how I used to be <laughs> <laughs> like there, like, especially like there's this one time, like I've never told anyone, this is kind of like the weirdest thing I've ever done. Like ever. Only one other guy knows this, but um, <laughs> because it was just a weird series of events where I had to tell him. But I was like fighting with one of my girlfriends or something. And I just got this idea. I'm like, I'm going to break up like and I'm just going to go out, go to L.A., get a nose job, come back and be like this super hunk all of a sudden. <laughs> so I actually I booked the flight and I'm like going to Beverly Hills to actually do it. <laughs> like this is like seven years ago or something. But six or seven years ago, uh, this was two years ago. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like six years ago. But I think I'm going to like like do this and like no one's going to notice, right? So I tell my one friend, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going on a vacation. He's like, where? I'm like, uh, Beverly Hills. And the guy's like, me too. I'm like, when are you going? <laughs> I'm like, this weekend. He's like, me too. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing there? 
Uh, so I don't know what to say. So I'm like, oh, I met this girl. I'm going down to, uh, to like, I'm, yeah, I'm going to do it with her, man. <laughs> and I tell him, like, I'm going to, like, basically, like, I had a girlfriend at the time. I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a cool guy. I'm going to cheat on my girlfriend. <laughs> this is before Tinder or anything where these things aren't really possible. So he's like, uh, okay. He's <laughs> like, we should hang out, though, when you're not, like, philandering on your girl. <laughs> this guy is, was Mark Meyer. By the way, like, <laughs> guy did the doc with. So I get there. I go down to the uh, the rhinoplasty clinic. I get them to like do all this like imagery on my face, and they show me uh, how I'm gonna look. Like they actually send me like digital photos and all that. And then I'm just like, oh no, that's that's too small. Like make it bigger, bigger, bigger. And they're getting really frustrated because I'm basically <laughs> making my nose not change at all, <laughs> but I just want it to make me feel like I'm going to be better. And that's exactly what happens to Jax. Like, he gets a nose job, but his nose actually gets bigger afterwards. <laughs> and then um, I just basically ended up playing football with uh, Mark Myers the entire time on the beach. <laughs> and I never got the nose job, obviously. Oh, wow. Well, I think you have a beautiful nose, Shane. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But Don't, do uh, Don't ever change. Well, it's too late now. I'm already married. It, my, the whole point was to impress babes so I can marry some hot chick. Now that's already done with. I'm just getting fatter and uglier by the day. <laughs> That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Ryan from Mother Mother. Uh, subscribe to the show. Leave a comment in the ratings. Tell your friends about the show. It really f***ing helps. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Mike on Much. Send us a note there. We'll get right back to you. Huge shout out to Kristen Nicholas, who's working our ass off on our behalf. Uh, Dan Carruthers, Greg Stewart, Justin Stockman, the whole team that helped make this thing run. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend. <laughs>